Good morning. Father, I want to thank you. I want to thank you for your presence this morning. I want to thank you for your anointing upon this church. Lord, we just ask that you would move and you would speak. In Jesus' name, amen. So typically, I am super stressed out when I have to preach. It, uh, it has multiplied since my schedule is now fuller, but I am very stressed out. Bring it closer to my mouth. I'm getting a signal. How's that? Is that better? Maybe. But this week, this year really, at the beginning of the year, I felt like the Lord just told me, hey, don't write any sermons. And I was like, well, that's weird. I'm kind of a, a pastor, you know. So I just decided to trust God this week. I focused on my day-to-day activities, my, my schedule, my routine. Wednesday night, I didn't worry about Sunday. I worried more about the worship set than I worried about the sermon. I'm not a soloist, so it got me all nervous up there. But uh, yesterday, we came and we, we fine-tuned the worship, and then I went home and I took a nap. And I uh, rested for a bit, spent time, like a four-hour nap, not just a small nap, like a four-hour nap. I was getting my rest in, you know what I mean? I didn't get to sleep in yesterday. I had to go to work early in the morning. But, uh, yeah. That night, last night I went and uh, Bethany was watching TV and I decided she never does that. She's always busy. I was like, well, I guess it's time to write a sermon. You know, seeing as I have less than 12 hours or something to to preach so I sit down I turn on music and I start just okay God I don't know why I'm not stressed this week but obviously you want to do something so I'm ready for you to do something and immediately I find a commentary over a passage of scripture that's very familiar to us we've probably if you've been in the church long you've read it you've heard sermons on it but for me although I've read it it's fresh So, having said that, let's turn to John chapter 11 in our Bibles. We're not going to rush it. We're just going to take our time reading through John chapter 11. Starting in verse 1. It says, Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and his sister Martha. It was that Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother was Lazarus, who was sick. Therefore the sisters sent to him, as in sent to Jesus, saying, Lord, behold, him him who you loved is sick. When Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. 
Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So, when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. Pause. Why did Jesus stay? It just stated in this scripture that he loves Lazarus, he loves Martha, he loves Mary. And so when you hear that somebody is sick and they're sending to Jesus, it's serious. Lazarus is on his deathbed and his sisters cry out to God in their grief, in the tragedy, and knowing that God loves them. This is the same Mary and Martha You know the story of them, one's working, one's sitting at the feet of Jesus. One anoints Jesus' feet with oil. These are the same people. Why did he stay? This commentary I read said that oftentimes when we cry out to God in our despair, what we're actually doing is asking him to meet our felt needs. That it's it's a request for him to come and serve us. But Jesus didn't come to serve us. He came to serve God, right? I mean, that's his whole mission, so he stayed. If you look over at verse 15, we're going to get there, but I want to I jump over there. It says, I am glad for your sakes that I was not there, that you may believe. Nevertheless, let us go to him. Okay? That's key right there. I'm glad that you may believe. So Jesus stayed for the will of God and God's glory, not to meet the felt needs, the emotional needs, of the people, but to do the will of God. And the will of God is to bring all people into loving relationship with Him, right? So He's on mission. Let's continue reading. Then, after He and He said to the disciples, Let us go to Judah again. The disciples said to Him, Rabbi, lately the Jews sought to stone you, and you're going there again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble, because he sees the light of this world. But if one walks in the light in the night, he stumbles because light is not in him. These things he said, and after he said said them to them, our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I may wake him up. Then his disciples said, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get well. However, Jesus spoke of his death. But they thought he was just speaking about taking a rest and sleep. Then Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there, that you may believe. Nevertheless, let us go to him. Then Thomas, who is called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let us go that we may die with him. Where is Jesus geographically? First, let's talk about his physical location at the time, okay? So if you know where Jerusalem is, I don't have a map, probably should have. I don't have a map, but Israel's really skinny, okay? At the top, say this is the top right hand, there's a lake, Sea of Galilee, a big sea, a river, Jordan, that flows into the Dead Sea. Sea of Galilee, Dead Sea, Jerusalem's over here. Everybody tracking with me? Can you guys see over there? Sea of Galilee, where we walked on water. Dead Sea, where nothing's alive. Jerusalem's down there. Okay? Bethany, two miles to the east, is where Lazarus lives with his sisters. So down in the south. It says here, 
If you go up to chapter 10, verse 40 and 42, through 42, it says, And he went away again beyond the Jordan to the place where John was baptizing at first. And there he stayed. Then many came to him and said, John performed no sign, but all these things that John spoke about this man were true. And many believed in him there. So where is the place beyond the Jordan that John was baptizing? Well, it's called Bethany beyond the Jordan. If you ever look up in, in, uh, in the back of your Bible, you might have some maps. You might find this place highlighted there, and it's called Bethany beyond the Jordan. But it's not the same Bethany that's down by Jerusalem. This is key because it's on the east side. You saw you? East side, sorry. East side of the Jordan River. Jerusalem's on the west side of Jordan River. So not only does he have to cross a river, but he's 20 miles away. Okay? It's 20 miles away. And so if somebody was to send a messenger from Jerusalem or from Bethany to the place beyond the river, it would take about a day on foot. Okay? And then we know from verse, what is that? Verse 6, he stayed two more days in the place beyond the river, 20 miles north, northeast of Bethany. Okay? And then he says, let's go. So a day's journey. Okay? That's four days. Keep tracking with me because that becomes really important here in a minute. The second thing that we need to look at in this verse is the mindset of the disciples. Again, Jesus, his whole mission here is not to comfort Mary and Martha. is not to bring Lazarus to alive again so that you may believe. So that you may believe. He's on mission. He's focused. He knows what the end game is all about. Faith brings life. Life eternal. Amen? He's on mission. He's focused. So, when you look at verse 16, it says, Then Thomas, who was called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let us go that we may die with him. Now, jump back up. To verse 8, you're going to read, Rabbi, lately the Jews have sought to stone you. Are you sure you want to go there? The Pharisees are after Jesus. They have a bounty on his head, essentially. And they say, if Jesus shows his face in this area, we're going to stone him. We're going to kill him. Okay, They're already trying to kill the Messiah. The hate has been planted in their heart. They're after him. That's why Jesus is up in the north to avoid this persecution, right? The disciples, one, do not believe that they're going to make this journey safely. But two, they're already hopeless about Lazarus. He's dead. Jesus just told them, so why, why would we go and risk our own lives for a dead man? Okay? So picture that. That's the mindset we're in. A grave mindset. Not like grave as in, oh, this is sad. I'm talking like grave as in the tomb. We're walking in the grave, okay? Let's keep reading. Jesus responds, or he says, So when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb four days. Right? Four days. Keep tracking there. Now, Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away. We covered that geographically. And many of the Jews had joined the women around Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him. But Mary was sitting in the house. Now Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, 
my brother would not have died. But even now I know whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. And so here we see that before Jesus even gets to Bethany, the southern Bethany, two miles east of Jerusalem, Martha hears about him coming and goes out and meets him. Okay? And there she has a conversation with Jesus that she professes faith in who he is. And then she says, Jesus responds, your brother will rise again. And she goes into what we normally would all go into. You know what I mean? Pharisees have been preaching in their synagogues for years about the general resurrection at the end of time. We're talking revelations when the fullness has come, Christ has returned, and all the dead will rise. Martha refers to that, well, I know that he's going to be in the bosom of Abraham type thing. You're tracking with me? So she's not really seeing Jesus and what he's doing right there. And he says, I am the resurrection and the life. And then he says, do you believe this at the end of that statement? I'm the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me will have life and they won't die. I'm the resurrection and life. Do you believe this? And she makes the same sort of statement that Peter made when he asked, who are you? Peter says, you are the Christ, the risen one. But don't be fooled. Her words are different than her heart. We're going to find out here in a minute. She's giving him lip service right here. And many times when Jesus asks us, do you believe? We give him the same lip service. We quote what we learned at the synagogue just like Martha did right there. Yes, I do. But when it comes down to it, we're going to watch how Martha responds. Okay? Continue on. Verse 28. And when she said these things, she went her way and secretly called Mary to her sister, saying, The teacher has come and is calling for you. And as soon as she heard that, she arose quickly and came to him. Now Jesus had not come yet into the town, but was in a place where Martha had met him. Then the Jews who were with her in the house and comforting her when they saw that Mary rose up quickly and went out, followed, followed her, saying, She's going to the tomb to weep there. Then, when Mary came where Jesus was, she saw him and fell down at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Therefore, Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who came with her weeping, and he groaned in the spirit, and was troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Verse 35, Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, See how he loved him? And some of them said, Could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying? 
realize in verse 32 the significance of what we're seeing right here. It says, Then when Mary came where Jesus was, she saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Again, when the chapter started, who did it say Mary was? This, come on, you know the answer. The same woman who fell at his feet and anointed it. Now, you ready for your mind to get a little twisted? Jump to chapter 12. Okay, should be right one page over. We're in chapter 11. Go to chapter 12. And it says this. Then six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus, who had been dead, whom he had raised from the dead, there made him a supper and Martha served, but Lazarus was the one who sat at the table with him. Then Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard, anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair. Now we're in chapter 11, and we go to chapter 12, and that's when Mary anoints the feet of Jesus. Now just some Bible study tips here. When you read the Bible, you cannot expect it to be in chronological order. Okay? Especially in the Gospels. They're not trying to, to uh, tell you like a movie or something from start to finish in order. They're reciting the things that stuck out to them. So when John wrote this passage, he had already lived through the experience of Mary anointing Jesus' feet. And some 60 years later was writing about it. So when he refers to Lazarus' scene, he makes sure that we know the connection that Mary is the same one who will later anoint the feet of Jesus. So she falls at his feet the first time. The second time here in the next chapter, she brings spikenard oil. And I thought this was really cool, so I'm going to flip over to it. If you want to join me in Psalm, Songs of Solomon, chapter 1, verse 12, it reads this. It says, while the king is at his table, while the king is at his table, my spikenard sends forth its fragrance. My spikenard sent forth its favor. Remember what kind of oil she took? Spikenard. I'm not sure I'm saying that right, but it's okay. And she anointed the king. And where was he sitting? At the table with Lazarus, the one he had raised the dead. Now, go backwards because remember John's remembering, so we go back a little bit in the past there. He says what? I am the resurrection and the life so that you may... Believe. You guys are real awake this morning. So that you may believe. Then when we come to the next scene with Mary and Jesus' interaction. When the king sits at the table, she anoints his feet. This is a prophetic fulfillment. Do you see that? In the scriptures of old, Mary and Jesus have a moment where they fulfill prophecy about the Messiah. When he sits at the table... The spikenard oil will rise to his nose. The aroma. Powerful. But I want you to see something else here. This isn't the only person who fell at Jesus' feet when resurrection was needed. Okay? Where's that at? There it is. Turn to Mark chapter 5. Turn to Mark chapter 5. I'm not going to read all 
all the verses because I have 21 through 43. But I want you to start listening to the story. It says, Now when Jesus had crossed over again by boat to the other side, a great multitude gathered to him, and he was by the sea. And behold, one of the rulers of the synagogue came out, Jairus by name. And when he saw him, he fell at his feet and begged him earnestly, saying, My little daughter lies at the point of death. Come, lay your hands on her, that she may be healed, and she will live. Now, we're going to skip the issue of blood. The woman with the issue of blood gets healed as Jesus is on his way to healing this little girl. She reaches out, she grabs him, and Jesus feels the power leave, and he turns and says, who touched me? And she's healed right there. I'm sure you might be familiar with that story. If not, Mark chapter 5, it's a great one. But jump up to 35, Mark 5, 35, and it says, While he was still speaking, some came from the ruler of the synagogue's house who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? As soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not be afraid. Only believe. Only believe. Jump back over to John chapter 11. Do not be afraid, only believe. Another thing you need to to take note here in this chapter is in verse uh, 33 it says, He groaned in the spirit and was troubled. Now a lot of people will interpret this passage as, as a woman whose brother is dead comes and falls at your feet and weeps. That Jesus is is moved with compassion. It says that he saw her weeping, but not only her, the people that were with her were crying. And so we think it's a a sad moment in verse 35 when it says Jesus wept. But I want you to see this thing differently. The word groaning there, and I'm going to butcher it, is embryomahi. Embryomahi. Something like that in Greek. Good luck. What it means from, it's derived from the words that means in strength. The word is used to express anger, to indicate a speaking or acting with deep feeling, or for stern admonishment. So the moment, the shortest scripture in, in the Bible is here, right here in John chapter 11, verse 35, and it says, Jesus wept. But the emotion he is feeling is not sympathetic to the felt needs of Mary and Martha and the situation. The emotion that he is feeling is anger for what death is bringing into creation. He is raged by what the enemy has done to creation. So he weeps. That's good. He weeps. Verse 39, let's pick up in the story, or 38, sorry, let's pick it up. And it says, Then again, Jesus, groaning in himself, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone laid against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone, Martha. The sister of him who was dead said to him, Lord, by this time there is a stench, for he has been dead 
four days. Pause. Did Martha not just say that he's the Christ? Did she not just in the face of Jesus, when she went out to meet him, say, I believe. But when Jesus says, now it's time to do it. It's going to stink, Lord. Lazarus thinketh. He's been in the tomb for four days. Told you this was important and this is why. Go back to verse 37. And it says this, And some of them that were with them, could not this man who opened the the eyes of the blind have kept this man from dying? Four days. From Bethany to the place beyond the Jordan is 20 miles. They send a messenger by foot to go get Jesus because Lazarus is sick. By the time a messenger in one day of travel gets to Jesus, one day. Lazarus is dead, he tells the disciples. So the time, by the time it got to his ears, he was already dead. So Jesus waits two more days. We're up to three. Then he travels back for four. Do you notice that? That they expected Jesus to come and save Lazarus, but by the time Jesus heard in his natural human body, Lazarus was already dead. And we, in our lives, cry out to God and expect him to move, and he's on kingdom business. And then we accuse him and say, could he not have already prevented this? Why is there such bad things happening in the world? Why isn't God doing something? And we look at it so carnally. We look at it without kingdom perspective. So I just wanted to make that note that four days, Lazarus is dead. We pick back up in the story. Jesus said to her, Did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? Then he took away the stone from the place where the dead man was laying. Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. And I know that you always hear me. But because of the people who are standing by, I say this that they may believe that you sent me. So again, he's not doing a, a, you know, some sort of magic trick or you know, a pony show. He's simply building faith in the people who say they have faith. And he's doing it in a way that they can have no doubt about what's about to happen. He's not trying to work up some super... Holy Spirit power within himself, so when he lays hands on Lazarus, it'll happen. He's not trying to beef up his own faith. He's simply giving things that the Father is about to be glorified, that the mission he's originally on to serve God and his will is about to happen. And because he's saying it out loud and their ears can physically hear, then people will actually believe that he's the Messiah. Again, it's the same mission Believe. I am the resurrection and the life, says Jesus Christ. Do you believe? Now, when he, verse 43, he said, Now when he had said these things, he cried out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he had died, 
came out bound hand and foot with grave clothes. And his face was wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, Loose him and let him go. Now the practice of the day, as we will, we will later see, is that not mummification where they take out everything, but they wrap the body, put fragrance on it, because for three days they'll have a wake. They'll, they'll mourn. That's why all the Jews come to the house. That's why they're there with Mary and Martha. That's why everybody's there. They're three days. And then by the fourth day, they consider that the soul of the man has, locked, has gone. And so he's dead. That's why there's such despair in Mary and Martha. Had he not come on day two or day three, you could have saved him. Because his soul would have still been there, according to the cultural beliefs, right? If you had just, when you heard it, I, well, he was dead, yes, but like his soul was still there. So maybe there was a possibility. But because you came on day four, the man is dead. And he stinks. His body has already begun to de- decompose because his soul has left. There's nothing to sustain life in the corpse anymore. So they wrapped and bound and put Joseph in the, or Lazarus in the tomb and sealed it. And Jesus tells him, come forth. And he comes out bound, hand and foot, face covered. I want you to see the picture. This is where it blew my mind. Get ready. Jump over to John 19. Again, Jesus told us that he is the resurrection and the life. He waited so that we would believe. And he comes to Lazarus in this moment so that he would have life and life abundantly. His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And sometimes God waits in the middle of tragedy so that you will believe. So that there can be no doubt. No explanation. It was day three. His soul was still there. So that's why he woke up. No. He erases all doubt. That he is the one true God. He alone is the resurrection and the life. And those who believe will have life eternal. In John 19 verse 40. We read this. This is after Jesus has been betrayed. He's been on trial. He's been beaten. He's been crucified. We read this in verse 40. And it says, And then they took the body of Jesus and bound it in strips of linen with the spices as a custom of the Jews is to bury. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden. And in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had been yet laid. So there they laid Jesus because of the Jews' preparation day for the tomb was nearby. So again, we we see that cultural response to death of preparing the body to go into the tomb. They bound him in bondage. 
and wrappings. Death brings bondage. It brings grave clothes. When Lazarus died, they wrapped him up. When we die spiritually, when we sin, we get wrapped up in grave clothes. And Jesus calls to us. His whole gospel ministry is, Son, daughter, come forth. Son, daughter, live. And He's crying out for every one of us. He came from heaven so that we would have life and resurrection. Not just so that He could perform miracles, but that we could see that He's the Messiah, we believe it, and we come alive again. Before Christ, before the freedom of the the cross and the grave, we were spiritually dead. And we walk in spiritual death, but God is calling out, saying, come forth, come forth. But recognize this, when Lazarus came out of the grave, it says, when he came out of the grave, he was bound up. He still had his grave clothes on. Some of us have been called into resurrection. And we have answered that. We have risen up. And we have come out of death into life. But we still have grave clothes on. Our old ways, old habits, the old man are still there. What death and bondage and sin, the the soul ties, the hurts from our childhood... The unforgiveness, the bitterness is still binding us up so that when God calls us to walk with Him, we shuffle instead of walk. We can't run with freedom. We can't live the life of abundant life. We just have life. You get what I'm saying here? There's there's not only resurrection, but He is the resurrection and the life. Do you believe this? Because watch right here of why Jesus is the Messiah. 20, John chapter 20. I'm going to read it just because it's so good. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Then she ran and came to Simon Peter and the other disciples whom Jesus loved and said to them, They have taken away the Lord out of our tomb. And we do not know where they have laid him. Pause right here. If Jesus never resurrected, the gospel's dead. The fact that there was never a body in a tomb. If you ever read a Case for Christ, this is his crooks and why he became a Christian. There's never a body found. Again, just a little side information there. It says, Peter therefore went out and the other disciples and were going to the tomb. And they both ran together. And the other disciple outran Peter, slow Peter, and came to the tomb first. And he said, and he stopped stooping down and looking in, saw the linen clothes lying there. But he didn't go in. Keep going. Simon Peter came in following him, and went in to the tomb. And he saw the linen clothes lying there, and the handkerchief that had been around his head, not lying with the linen clothes, but folded 
together in a place by itself. Helmet of salvation, right? Jesus not only took upon our sin on the cross and bled for us to cover that, but he died in place for us. And then he was bound up. He bore our transgressions, the word says, with the grave clothes as well. With the things that you walk with on a daily basis that keep you bound up, Jesus overcame. Not only did he overcome them, but just to be the God of goodness, he folds it and leaves it in the grave. I don't need this where I'm going. Today, do you believe? Read this right here. It says, Then the other disciple who came to the tomb first also went in, and he saw and he believed. He saw and he believed. Freedom. Complete freedom from it all. Sin, habits, thought patterns, addictions. Jesus took it all. And so when Lazarus comes out, he says this. Take his grave clothes off. Immediately jumps Lazarus right back into community and says, you need help. Take them off. Help them out. And that's the call right there. Jesus is not only calling you today to come forth, but he's calling us to take the grave clothes off of each other, to help us walk according to the victory that is won in the tomb for us. So my challenge for you today, as I close with this, is when are we going to take the grave clothes off? Amen? Let's pray. Father, you have won the victory. You have delivered us, sanctified us, renewed us. You are the resurrection and the life. And Lord, I pray that we would not just give you lip service, but we would see it and believe so that God can be glorified. Give us faith, God. Faith in your name, faith in your will, faith in your power, in your purpose. And God, put us back on mission to not be about our felt needs, but to be about kingdom business. In Jesus' name. Take off the grave clothes. Amen. Amen.